Views and opinions expressed on this platform are of me, myself, and I, not any agency I'm affiliated with. So please do not take what I say personally. One of the beautiful things about technology is that you can connect with people all over the planet, all over the world. And in this case, I'm connecting with one of my friends back from down south, home state of Louisiana, the dirty south, Devin Christopher. Devin is a really good guy, uh, newly married. Sorry, ladies, he's off the market. Um, we used to work together at the same agency, and we actually taught a couple of ENT classes together, so very fairly acquainted. But Devin is an advanced EMT. He's an FTO. He's been an EMS for about 12 years, and he is an advocate for all the baby ENTs out there, and we're going to talk about that. Devin, if you want to introduce yourself, tell the people who you are and what you stand for, go ahead. Uh, so first of all, thank you so much for having me on. It is a huge honor. Um, I've never been on a podcast before, so forgive my informality with it all. Um, but yeah, I, I think you probably did a better job of introducing me than I could. Um, been in EMS. I've been for 12 years and five different ambulance services. Um, I was a, a money chaser before I settled into this home. Uh, just the worst orphan. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, like you said, I, I am a huge advocate for baby EMTs. Um, I've always believed that there is a horrible, horrible paradigm of that's just how it's always been. And I, I think it destroys the future of EMS. So I've really kind of made it my mission to speak out and, and be an advocate for that, as you said. And, um, and kind of the, the other side of that, I advocate a lot for mental health with those who have been on the truck who kind of get pushed to the side, me being one of them. So I try to make myself available to be that kind of person. Absolutely. And I mean, I've talked about it before on the podcast, but we can't talk about it enough. It is such, it's not how it used to be. I mean, it still is, but it's not as much of, oh, will you join this job? If you have any health, mental health issues with it, and if you can't handle this, then get out. It's not like that anymore because I feel like we're recognizing that we are human beings and we can't just, as much as we try to just go home and turn it off, we can't. So yeah. mad respect to you for that. We'll go ahead and start with the question. So basic question from the get-go, my favorite one. Devin, why did you get into this job? And tell me about your start from being a baby EMT basic to going to be an advanced EMT. What made you want to take the leap? What you got? Well, so I don't, I don't think there's one particular event that led me to, hey, I want to work on an ambulance. Um, it's it's a long series of events over the course of probably 10 years uh, through my teenage years and, and 20s. Started out, my uncle worked for an ambulance service uh, when I was probably 10, 11 years old. Uh, and I always thought just listening to him was the coolest thing ever, you know, and like, man, like that sounds like such a cool job. Um, and then your your stereotypical. I joined a fire department uh, when I was 18 years old and volunteered. Uh, found myself enjoying medical calls more than fire calls. So I was like, well, there there may be something here. Um, fast forward several years, um, I 
had been married and my wife at the time uh, was pregnant with my first child. And that turned into, oh man, I've, I've got to do something. You know, at that point, it was just working dead end jobs and, and trying to make ends meet. But now, you know, I'm responsible for another life. Uh, so into the meat and potatoes of the story, that turned into I had an opportunity to get into working at a nursing home, a local nursing home, uh, where I was a housekeeper. And I worked as a housekeeper for probably about six months until CNA classes opened up. And they, they paid my way into CNA classes since I worked for that company. Um, did that for a couple of years. And then I was able to save up enough money to take a local EMT class. And uh, the rest is really history. I'm just really proud that you went from CNA to EMT. Um. <laughs> housekeeper, housekeeper to EMT. Um, I went from scrubbing crap to starting it <laughs> real quick, you know? Exactly. So, okay. Kind of switching into our advocacy for the baby EMTs out there. Cause even as, even as you progress, you came from baby basic to advanced. Uh, and when you eventually get into a paramedic, if you do, and if not that, it's totally fine. Or anybody who goes to, go on and be a flight medic or this is just your stepping stone and you become an RN, whatever it is, we all start from the bottom and we all start as the rookie. But do you feel like when you started in EMS and you became an EMT, do you feel like you were fully prepared? And I don't know if that's necessarily like a school issue or we eat our young. What's, what's your thoughts on that? How was it for you? And what are your thoughts? Uh, so I think like everybody, I don't feel like I was fully prepared. Um, I had a lot of exposure to EMS with volunteer fire department experience and, you know, having a family member that was in EMS long before I was. Um, so you kind of, you hear the stories, um, and you kind of become desensitized to it all, but there's a lot of people who, who don't have that opportunity. Um, there's a lot of people who, and, and you've seen it from the EMT classes that we've taught, um, who, oh yeah, two weeks ago, I, I put in my notice, I was working at McDonald's, you know, uh, and now I'm getting into this thing called EMS. Uh, so I, I feel fortunate in the sense that I, I think I had it a little bit easier than they did. But uh, as far as it, if it's a school issue, I don't think so. I, I don't know that there's anything that could really prepare you fully for this career field other than just sticking it out and uh, and putting the hammer down every day and just getting in there and getting it done. Um, it's a lot. There's a, there's a lot of facets to EMS that school does not teach you. Uh, school can't teach you. And uh, I, I think... I think that's where it falls on us as experienced medics to to bridge that issue. And I uh, also think that's where that's where as a whole we fell. Absolutely. Um in that in that vein, haha. Um 
EMS is so unique and you can see it in nursing programs and stuff like that, but you can teach all day long about how to apply a tourniquet or how to start an IV or whatever it is. But it's so different when you get in the field because typically, I don't know about you, maybe I'm just a terrible example, but I'll tell people from the get go, like, I know you learned this in school, but this is how we do it. Um, <laughs> and I don't think I there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, no, I wholeheartedly agree. And what, what we've talked about is when somebody joins EMS from the get go as an EMT, it is so important, kind of like you touched on of taking them under our wing and making sure that even like in their skills and how to write a report and do all this stuff, even more so in like the, the shift to shift aspect, making sure that they are taken care of. So what do you feel like we can do to better prepare EMTs for working in EMS? What can we do better as far as helping these precious, precious infants who uh, join and like creating a more longevity rather than just like, now you're a basic, what's your next step? But you know, like what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I, I think probably the biggest thing that we could do is to, um, to let them know early on that when you're in school, you're taught that there's, there's so many expectations that's going to be put on you and you're going to have so much responsibility and this is all on you and you have to figure this out and you have to do that and be able to do that. Uh, but I, I think the biggest thing is, is once we, once we pull them from the womb of school, right. And they take their first breath in this big world of, of <laughs> other people's lives um, is to let them know that one, it's okay. If you don't know what you're doing, it's okay. Because we've all been there. I tell my students, new hires all the time that if anybody tells you that they didn't start their career in EMS, not knowing what they were doing, then they're lying to you and you shouldn't listen to anything they have to say. Right. We've all been there. We've all been terrified. Uh, we, we need to make sure that they understand that you're going to make mistakes and that's okay because administration is not out to get you. You know, they don't have you under a microscope whenever you're in your infancy, just waiting for you to do something wrong so they can pounce on you with the legal system. That's not how this works. Don't create, don't create this, this idea that you have to have it all together within the first six months to a year. You know, it, it's rely on your experienced people. If you have questions, ask, you know, and, and the biggest thing is, is teaching them not to pretend or feel like you have to pretend that you know anything. I, I tell, I tell my new hires all the time. I don't care if you don't know how to do something. That's why I'm here. But what I do care is if we're on a call and you don't tell me you don't know how to do something and you pretend, you know, and then it messes everything up for everybody. Dude, spot on. And that's if they go in thinking that they have to know everything, it only facilitates imposter syndrome, which can absolutely kill a provider. Um, 
And something that my old partner Ken used to do is during, even if we had a new hire, even if it was just me, if we had a student going through the daily truck checkoff, checklist, whatever you want to call it, literally pointing to something and saying, okay, how does this work? And um, for me, it was during paramedic school. He would he would get like the 60 drop set and he's like, explain this and why do we use this for medications? And it's a game changer. But like like you said, don't tell me you don't know how to do something when we're in the middle of a call and it's literally life or death at this moment. Like, you know, but not embarrassing them in a way. And I think that's another thing is when you have those medics or whoever, a provider that thinks they know everything. And when you get to that point, get off the truck, but that's beside the point. Um, and their goal is to, it feels like embarrass you on a call and make you look bad so they can validate their own self. There's no room for that. No, there's no room for arrogance in EMS. And once you start losing that, that mindset of like, I was here once and instead of having someone else experience what I went through and like the embarrassment and the, all of that stuff, instead of facilitating that, but more or less creating a better mold for these new providers, it's a game changer. And you can, you can change the trajectory of someone else's experience in EMS. And if they even go into EMS at all, because we're all on a shortage, please join EMS. We need help. Yeah. Send help. <laughs> Red flags. Um, <laughs> so do you feel like there's any specific topic or subject or organ system development? I don't know, something like that, that we teach in these classes. That's not, um, it's not highlighted enough or it's not detailed enough. Do you feel like there's anything that the, these baby basics are taught in school that we need to focus on more? Uh, yeah, I, I do. I don't know how it could be taught in a classroom setting, but uh, self-care. There's there's so much the the entire EMS education system is about is about um, what you're supposed to do for others. And there's really not a whole lot on how to manage that and, and what to do for yourself. And that's that's learned in the school of hard knocks. Exactly. The good old boys who uh, it's us for and no more. And you just get through it. But no, absolutely. Um, something I heard one time was our job is to take care of other people and we never take care of ourselves. And it is it is hard to implement self-care and sometimes you don't have time because you got to pick up overtime or you got a life outside of EMS. But no, I 100% agree with that. 100% agree. So Devin, what keeps you going in EMS and what helps prevent burnout for you? So what keeps me going? An unhealthy amount of caffeine for sure. Um, I'm a, I'm a walking miracle and I do not advocate for that whatsoever. But, uh, no, I, I think for me personally, it's really all I know. It's, it's all I've done in my whole adult life, you know? So to try to think about, well, 
I think I've had enough of EMS. I need to find something new. Well, you start trying to find something new and like, how, how do I even do that? You know, how business school, what is that? You know, how am I supposed to run a business? I can't even run an ambulance. What are, what are we doing? Um, so I, I think it's just, no, but seriously, the, the biggest thing and what keeps me going is that there are people out there that need me in the worst moments of their life. And I have been trained to help them. I have been trained. I am, I am the one who gives assistance. Uh, and that really is, there's been, there's been mornings where I wake up to go on shift and I, I'm thinking to myself like, man, I, I can't do this. You know, and then I think about all the calls that I've run in the past and, and I, I quickly remember that, oh, other people out there need help, you know, and, and I am one person in this team that that is trained and equipped to give that help. And so then it goes back to an unhealthy amount of caffeine and go. <laughs> We always circle back to, oh, yeah. man, I really need to take care of myself. Here's another Red yeah. Bull. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As I'm drinking the third one in the first six hours. <laughs> exactly. To prevent burnout, though, to answer that part of your question. Uh, so that's that's honestly, to, to be completely transparent, that's something that I struggle with a lot. Um, how do I keep myself from getting burnout? One thing that I've realized over the years is that for starters, you really have to find something to occupy your time. But I, I don't feel like it's, you know, oh, well, I, I love doing puzzles. You know, if that works for you, that's fantastic. Um, but I think when you have a, a high stress, high energy job, you really have to get into things that one are, are bigger than yourself. You know, um, in EMS, you are in the eyes of others. You are, you're it. You're the top. You know, you are the hero. You are the, the God. Uh, big air quotes there. Um, there. There is none better than you in the eyes of the public, right? I, I mean, you're the one they call. Um, so you really have to try to find something outside of work that really puts things into perspective for your own life that really shows you that, that the world is really bigger than yourself. Um, and not so much fear of becoming arrogant, you know, fear of having this big ego, but there's something about feeling smaller than yourself that reminds you that I am just a human, you know, I'm, I'm not some kind of a superhero. I'm not some, I'm not what people portray me to be that I really am just a small cog in this whole machine, you know, and for me personally, um, I like to do a lot of outdoors activities like camping, um, I kind of started getting into a little bit of photography uh, solely because that puts me in the outdoors, but not just camping, more of, of trying to utilize survival techniques, 
one example of that, uh, my, my oldest son is, he's having trouble adjusting to the changing hormones right now. You know, it's, it's really, it's really impacting him hard. Um, so I'm in the process right now of planning a, uh, a two day hike on the Kasachie backbone trail, completely wild camping, what we can put in two backpacks for two days, stay in hopefully just one night. Um, no bathroom, no access to water except for just a stream that hopefully has water in it. You know, as we we kind of cross this little mole hill of a mountain in Louisiana, um, and and with him, it's for the same reason as for myself though, is that it's a lesson to learn that we're so small in, in this world and we're so fragile. We're not superheroes. We're not, we're not these invincible gods among men, you know, and, and just to get out there in the wild and God, at any minute a bear could come out of the forest and eat me and I'm gone or I could fall off and hit my head on a rock or what if there's no water, you know, um, or what if I get lost? What if I get lost and then I have to call my own people to come and get me, you know? Um, so I, I think doing things like that uh, really help with burnout because it, it really gives you the, the fuel to keep going. I really like your point about one, the reminder that we're so fragile. Um, that's one of the things I learned quickly in this job of like, literally like right now we could be having this conversation and either one of us could have a random blood clot traveling to our heart and boom, game over or traveling right up to the brain and game over. So that's, that was a terrifying realization, but definitely like you're saying is, even though like when we step on scene, people expect us to know exactly what to do, even if we don't. Um, and to provide that calm in that atmosphere, because nobody calls not, mm, most people don't call 911 just for funsies. Uh, <laughs> but like people are calling on potentially the worst day of their life and we show up and we're supposed to be that calm, but keeping also our reality and humility in check. That's, Dude, that's so essential. Yeah. And and then when I started that whole long talk about that, uh, I said point one. So point two, uh, I think is really huge for me. And maybe I'm going to be excommunicated from the church of EMS. And I don't really care because I'm just going to stand up for everybody that thinks like me. Uh, so I, I think another thing to prevent burnout I know some people who work so much overtime that they pay, and this is, this is literal. Okay. This is not a hypothetical. They pay more in taxes in a paycheck than what their normal paycheck would be. Let that sink in for a minute, you know, and, it, and you know what, if that's you, if you are the kind of person that you are just, I will work anything, anytime, anywhere, just put me on the truck, then go for it. I, on the other hand, am notorious about, no, I can't come in today 
my my days off are my mental health days. You know, I, I had a supervisor one time, and I, you're probably going to know who I'm talking about. Um, it was the end of last year, and there was this big thing about who was getting paramedic of the year and all that. And um, and he had made the comment to me. He said, you know, you would probably get medic of the year, but you never come in and work overtime when we call you. And, and in that moment, I realized, you know what? I would be just fine if I worked my whole career and never once got awarded for working the most amount of overtime, also known as medic of the year. And it's a sore spot. Um, <laughs> but to end my career with my sanity intact, I'm okay with that. I really am. Um, and I told him what, okay, let's look at what I do. Okay. Not what I don't do. I always come to work when I'm supposed to. I always do my job. I'm not a problem child. You don't get complaints called. And when I leave my shift, you never have to worry about how I left it. You know, and and I hope I'm not the only one that feels that way, but that's, that's me as an individual, you know, mentally, and I'm not ashamed to say mentally, I cannot handle working a whole bunch of overtime. And, and I, I'm willing to bet that there are a lot of people in EMS that get pressured into doing what they're not comfortable with. Um, and, I feel like to those people, I need to say, that's okay. Don't let scheduling, don't let supervisors pressure you into working if you know that mentally you cannot handle working extra shifts. If you are just fine working your scheduled shift, doing your job and going home to your family or whatever it may be, then that's fine. That's okay. I'm glad you're saying that because from someone who has been on both sides, uh, especially starting out when scheduling calls and they call you in for that overtime shift and you don't, you're tired, you don't really want to, but then they say that key phrase of, Hey, we really need you. And it almost makes you feel like you're helping out the company by going in when in reality they have five other people they could call. Yeah. And it's yeah. just, I learned at some point that it's really just not even worth it. It's the agency isn't on my back specifically. And if I don't come in, things will still run. They will yep. figure it out. Yep. So I'm really glad you said that because now I'm on the other end where I'm like, like this week I work my two shifts mm -hmm. and that's it because mama's got other stuff to do. Yep. And the, and the big point there is that's okay. If, if you are the person that is more than willing and prepared to go work all the overtime or do all of these extra things, that is okay. That's fine. More power to you. But if you are the person that doesn't want to go in outside of your scheduled shift mentally because you can't, right? It's just, it's just like I'm ADHD squirrel. It's, it's just like the human heart. 
Okay, think of it this way. From the moment you were born, your heart is only designed to beat so many times in your life before it stops. Some people may only have X number million beats before their heart stops, right? Other people, I don't know what the number is going to be, but whatever a hundred years is, you know, like their heart is just designed to beat that many times. But no matter what, you were born with a pre-programmed finite amount of, of heartbeats before it's done and before it gives out. The same thing with mental health and EMS and picking up shifts, in my opinion, right? There are only so many shifts that you can work over the course of your career before you just throw in the towel and I am done. I can't do this anymore. Do you want it to be within the first three years of your career or 30 years in your career? Only you know the answer to that. I don't know. I don't even know what my answer is. But I know if I'm working seven days in a row, right, 24, 12-hour shifts, whatever it may be, I know I'm going to be burnt out a whole lot faster than if I just show up and work my scheduled shift and then go home and enjoy my days off. I never thought about it like the human heart. Um, that's a really, really good analogy. So kind of diving into the career that you have established so eloquently, what would you say is your favorite type of call? Because you have respiratory, cardiac, trauma, psych, a code, lift assist. What you got for your favorite type of call? So this is probably where I'm going to be a little bit different. I really, I really think my favorite types of calls are psych calls. And hold on tight because we're going to go real deep here. Okay. It's not because of the almighty verse said, but there are so many times over the last 12 years of my career that I made such a huge impact in somebody's life because they were suicidal or because they were having a nervous breakdown, they were having an anxiety attack because of a bad situation in their personal lives and they felt like the world was crashing around them. A big thing is, is medical providers that we have to remember, and this was taught to me a long time ago, the most powerful tool in your arsenal is not electricity. It's not dopamine. It's not lidocaine. It's not cardizem or adenosine. It's not, it's not even Toradol or Zofran, right? The biggest weapon that you have is your words. And there's so many times on site calls that I was able to sit and listen to somebody's story and pull them back from that proverbial edge just because I cared. And, you know, you pick up these teenagers that are suicidal, that are cutting themselves, and they all say the same thing. No one cares. You know, I've tried to talk to my parents or I've tried to talk to my friends and they don't listen. They don't, they don't get it. They don't understand. They don't care about me. And I tell them all the same. Okay. Right here, right now, I care. I am right here. You can talk to me. And I think for that reason, I can honestly say that site calls are my favorite. Um, 
And then there's some that are just completely out of their minds and need Versed. And I'm okay with that too. I love that you called it the mighty power of, or the power of the mighty verse said. That is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is so accurate. But or I would say ketamine, but that's out of my scope of practice, so I I don't know that glorious feeling. I never liked. I've only ever put one person down the K hole, and it was in that moment it was necessary. But from someone who's been down the K hole, ketamine is not the first thing I would reach for, just because it's a terrifying thing and you can't get out of it. But yeah. Um, dude, that was so profound what you just said. And especially when you consider that, like, I would say a solid 85% of patients that are of psych calls don't require chemical sedation. They don't require even an IV. They don't require big, massive skills of what we can do other than having empathy and being there for that person in that moment, which is our job. Anybody who says that they don't like psych calls, I think they just, sometimes they don't have the right perspective. And dude, that was profound. Just know if you never get a thank you for it um, from someone on, not your call, but from someone on the flip side, um, it does make an impact. I think one thing that helps with that is having instilled in your mind early on in the career that no matter what, someone's always watching. And it's always important to remember that we may never have the gratitude or thanks for saving someone's life, whether it be physically or emotionally, but somebody's thankful. Somebody knows you may never see it, but somebody knows somebody's thankful. Whether it's the patient or whether it's the patient's family. Yeah. Not to cold heartedly transition to the next question um, of, from psych calls, but what would be the craziest or the funniest call you've ever had? Uh, so which, which direction do you want? I have a plethora. You mm-hmm. have free reign in this moment. Well, don't tell me that. Uh, so <laughs> We love a good story time. Well, and it's it's really hard because, you know, all the new hires, they want to know, like, what's the craziest thing you've ever seen? And and truthfully, what they're they're telling you without telling you is like, what is the goriest, bloodiest thing that you've ever seen? You know, like what is what is the call that you have run that haunts you day in and day out? And I really don't have an answer for that because over 12 years, there's a lot. A lot does, you know, but. It's the things you don't expect that make the biggest impact in your career. You know, that like there's one to to keep it um, just super interesting and, and lighthearted, I guess. I ran a wreck on, on 49, uh, I, I-49, I guess it is. Anyways, it runs north to south across Louisiana for anybody that doesn't know what 49 <laughs> is. Um, so there were these two college students that were traveling back from a game in Baton Rouge and they were going to North Louisiana. I'll keep it vague. Um, one was sleeping in the back, stretched out across the back seat and her friend was driving. Well, her friend fell asleep at the wheel and they were in, um, I guess I call them the round body Ford F one fifties, not the new body style where it's just the, uh, 
the somewhat rectangle shaped back windows with the rounded corners you know what i'm talking about where it's like maybe a foot and a half wide by like two feet tall so anyway so the driver falls asleep and the truck rolls down an embankment and in the median at the bottom of this embankment is large groups of of trees and it's probably separated from the other lanes by at least 100 yards if i had to guess it's it's a big median and the the girl who was trapped she was she was pinned um and the paramedic i was working with i was an emt at the time paramedic i was working with um was taking care of the extrication and we're all focused on her and she starts saying where's my friend where's my friend um ma'am what friend and that's when she told us her friend was sleeping in the back so there is now me and about four state troopers who are running down this embankment looking for her friend because the top of the truck is smashed so every window is broken so we don't know where she you know hold on though calm down it gets better so finally I see a flashlight shine and it's one of the state troopers from inside of the woods. And he starts yelling, she's over here. She's over here. First reaction, I'm about to walk up on a disaster. But what I find is there are two pine trees right on the edge of these, these woods that are probably about four feet apart from each other. And laying perfectly in between these two pine trees is this teenage girl with a pillow under her head, wrapped up in her little blanket cocoon, telling me, I'm okay, I just don't want to move. Putting all the pieces of this puzzle together, she was ejected as the truck rolled she was ejected through this side window, this tiny side window, pillow, blankets, and everything, went right between these two pine trees and was on the ground exactly the way she was sleeping in the back of that truck. And the only injury that she had, now, of course, this was back in the days of the spine board, and she was full spinal immobilization, right, mechanism of injury, the only injury she had was about a three inch, really a superficial laceration on the side of her stomach where a shard of glass caught her on the way out of that window. Completely unscathed. That never happens. That absolutely yep. never happens. Yep. And, and I was like, and at first, like I wanted to ask is the window rolled down, but it's the, the windows that hinge right with that little plastic clip like the window didn't even roll down she was ejected through the window but the way she landed was with the pillow underneath her head wrapped up in the blanket exactly the same way and no pain just the discomfort of that little laceration on her side and that was it that that is probably single-handedly the craziest thing i've ever seen dude i don't know how i feel about coincidences these days but 
there's no way that could happen and somebody wouldn't count that as a miracle. That yeah. never I thought that was going so completely different. I was like, oh God, what are we getting into? But yeah. that that's incredible. Yeah. And uh I don't know. It's I'd I'd like to know kind of what became of her after because I I thought she had said she was in pre-law. Um, and that was about 12 years ago. So if she graduated and finished, you know, then she's out there practicing law, hopefully somewhere in this world. Um, but I definitely, I don't, I don't remember her name or I don't even remember her face, but, uh, kind of curious as to, to what, what turned out in her life after something like that. I hope she's doing something worthwhile because I feel like I would clean my (laughs) life up real fast. Yeah, real quick. (laughs) So kind of shifting into a little more of a serious aspect. Mm-hmm. What is a recent or past call that has challenged you? Uh, I'm not, not ashamed to say it. It's EMS. It's not easy. I don't, I don't really have a specific answer for that. Um, I, I think it's just always really important to, to know that your job is to show up and do the best that you can. You know, um, the age old adage in EMS is ABCs, you know, BLS the heck out of it. And uh, so I I think if you stick with that mentality, um, every call presents its own challenge. I I don't know that there's really one more so than the other. Um, They're just different. and that's skill wise. I mean, mentally, there's there's a few calls that that mentally challenge you. Um, I, I think it, it it could be a long story, and I'm gonna try not to make it. Um, worked a fatal vehicle accident um, a little over a year ago, and uh, it was in the same town that that the I guess you would say the patient lived in where all the family was. And, uh, while we were getting all the paperwork done for that call, um, get a call down the street. So I get my signatures and we clear up from that and we're headed for a, uh, unconscious feigning call and we get there and it's this patient's house somebody that was on scene had went and delivered the news to the family that the patient was deceased. And so, uh, me and my partner were, were on the porch and, you know, getting vital signs and everything. And, and it was the mom, uh, and the mom, you know, she's going to be okay. She's just taking it hard. At this point, there's probably about 20 family members in the yard. And everybody is crying. Everybody, it's it's chaos. It's not even organized chaos. It's just chaos. And I have my partner put a four lead on this patient for me. And I look up over the monitor and I see this child on the other side of the monitor looking back at me, probably seven or eight years old. And... the the look of on the verge of crying you know watery eyes quivering chin the whole thing 
And so I just sit up and I make eye contact with this child. And this little boy jumps over the monitor and throws his arms around me and begins weeping. To find out this little boy was the victim's son. And he just found out that his mom died and nobody else had realized to console this child. And in that moment, it was me. And I think that's the biggest challenge because as a medical provider, you get this, this almost military mindset of, I have to do this by the book. You know, I have a patient right here on the ground. We have to see about her. And then life throws these little curveballs at you where you have a seven or eight year old child who hasn't even begun crying over the loss of his mother. And that child picked you to be that person to cry to. Um, me personally, that child in that moment was the only thing that mattered. The patient was going to be fine. There was no CPR in progress. She didn't need medications. You know, my partner had her on oxygen and she was going to be okay. Um, but it's calls like that that are very challenging because, and it all comes back full circle, like I said, it all comes back full circle to we're just humans. We're not machines. We're not soldiers. You know, we're human. And sometimes you have to just be human and those are the things that make the greatest impact in this job i don't even know what to say after that besides that like dude it just goes to show i just really appreciate that you have your heart in this job for the right reasons that's such hard stuff but like you're saying kind of that vulnerability to be able to implement that into our job more than just knowing the right meds, knowing more than just you cardiovert at this many jewels and all the things that we get to do and how to put on a tourniquet, like life-saving things, being able to have empathy and compassion is such an underutilized tool in our giant toolbox of all the things we can do. So I heard a, I heard an instructor say one time, um, I don't know, it's probably about six years ago at a recertification course that kindness covers a multitude of sins. And, and when I heard that, I decided in that moment that that was going to be me, is that no matter what, if I know how to treat a patient or not, I am going to be kind. Kind of like that phrase, kind words are healing to the bones and to the soul. Kind of wrapping up in the last couple of questions. I don't want to keep you for much longer. Um, when do you leave a shift and think, man, that was a good shift because blank. What is that thing for you? So that's, that's probably the hardest question because my initial reaction is I want to say the thing, the thing that makes a good shift is that we got a couple of hours of sleep the night before, you know, uh, that's always wonderful. Uh, I think the biggest thing is it, it kind of parallels with life though, you know, is this was a good shift because there were no regrets. 
it was a it was a good shift because every challenge that was presented to me and my partner we know we did everything that we could no matter the outcome we did everything we possibly could uh and i think that's i think it's a crucial mindset absolutely because kind of like the thing of we carry so much beyond just a shift the actions you do and the things you say you have to carry that beyond the call beyond that interaction with the patient and their family beyond the patient handoff report so the the verbal and the nonverbal you carry that and dude that's solid that is solid so with all of your vast wisdom and insight that I've gleaned a lot from from this conversation um what would you say is a piece of advice you'd give to someone either going into EMS, already in EMS, or someone thinking of taking the leap into the deep dive of the abyss of this job? What would you say to them? Oh, um, man, there's so much to that. There really is. And you know this because we've had conversations and I see you smiling over there because you know. First and foremost, if you want a long, successful career in EMS, it is as simple as being a good person. That's it. Just like your last podcast that you put out, which I did listen to, by the way, it was wonderful. Be a good partner, be a good person. If you can do that, I promise everything is going to fall into place and you're going to learn and grow and become what we would call successful in EMS, um, which is really based on not getting murdered or fired. I think, but, <laughs> um, I, another thing though, that I get asked a lot or told a lot is I have these new hires that'll message me, you know, after their first shift or during their first shift. And they'll say, you know, I felt so stupid. I felt like a failure. So, so first of all, kid, let me tell you this you feeling like a failure is not your fault. That's your partner's fault. Can you repeat that for the people in the back? Absolutely. Yes, Lord. It is not your fault. It is your partner's fault that you feel like a failure. Not because skill-wise or mentally you weren't equipped to handle whatever challenge was presented to you, but because you were not told after the fact that you did things right and you weren't told that it's okay we've all been where you are and i try to tell all of these these new hires you're not a failure until you quit trying and you can really apply that in every aspect of your life um and that comes you know what i didn't even make that up that comes from a book written by Gene Krantz that I bought at NASA because I'm a space nerd, right? It's called Failure is Not an Option. It's about the Apollo program in the early days and highly, highly recommend that book. But you're not. You, you're not a failure until you quit trying, until you throw in the towel and say, I give up. I'm not doing this anymore. That is the moment you fail. And, and take that not just in your career, but every aspect of your life as a parent, 
as a son or daughter, as anything, you name it, you, you keep going. Just because you failed to do something the right way doesn't mean that you are a failure. We all make mistakes. That's how we learn, right? One more hat that I wear on my head is that I love to garden. One of the best pieces of advice among the gardener community is that if you didn't kill plants, not people, plants, if you didn't kill plants, you would never learn what not to do. That's how making mistakes is how you learn and grow. That doesn't mean you're a failure until you till the whole garden up and walk away from it and say, I'm never doing this again. That's I, I really try to push that as much as possible. Um, and then the last little piece of advice is never wash a truck with your mouth open. And But when I say that, I get so many looks of confusion, and this dude is off his rocker. I wonder if he took his medications this morning. But, but the reality of it is, is when, when I say never wash a truck with your mouth open, that's from personal experience early in my career. But that is to say that there are so many little nuggets of wisdom that you're never going to learn from a textbook. You're never going to learn from school. But it's the little things like that, the little things that that old timers like myself are going to tell you that you just laugh at and dismiss. Those are where the core of your learning comes from. And always pay attention to those things because that is going to teach you life lessons in the career that is invaluable. So never wash a truck with your mouth open. <laughs> I love it. Um, I feel like I already know this answer as we wrap up this awesome discussion. Dude, I just I want to say it. Thank you so much. Like, I knew this was going to be a good one. It's blown my mind. Thank you so much. Um, so looking back now, reflecting on from day one up until now, if you could change it all, would you still take the path and go into EMS knowing where you are now? You know, I noticed a theme. You ask that question, everybody that you interview on the podcast, and you get wildly different answers every time. I had in my mind that you were going to ask me that question, and I was going to absolutely say yes. I would I would skip all the stress that I've been through and all the crazy things that I've seen and done. But then a couple hours before we started, um, I got in the shower, and I was like, that's the wrong answer. It's totally wrong answer. The, the answer to that for me is no, I wouldn't. Because... All the stress, all the counseling, all the mistakes and trauma and everything else. I have met so many incredible people and done so many incredible things and witnessed so many miraculous things in this career that no, I can honestly say I would not. 
I wouldn't change it at all. Now I do, I do suffer from the uh, never quit growing disease. So I'm never happy in like, I'm always trying to, to take the next step up. I can never be content. Uh, so would I have waited this long to go through paramedic school? Um, no, I would probably change that, you know, maybe eventually go into nursing school sooner. Yeah. You know, uh, one day, am I going to have these wild dreams of going to med school and becoming a doctor? Yeah, probably. Um, cause that's just my, my wild mindset, but those things aside, no, I wouldn't change it at all. It's, it's built me to be the person that I am. Kind of like you said, past all the, the trauma of this job, past the stress, past the countless therapy appointments, it really is worth it. And like I was telling somebody today, as hard as this job is some days, whether it's because of the hours or the type of calls or the mundaneness of the same patients or the same falls, which every call is different, but you get the same categories out of all of it. This is the most rewarding job. And I think what you said reflects that 100%. Um, so Devin, you got anything else to add? Any questions, comments, concerns, anything you want to plug in? Um, I, I really don't, uh, not at the moment. Uh, who knows? Maybe I'll write a book someday. If but, you uh, do, let me know and I will broadcast it so far. And I would appreciate it. But I've been talking about that for about six years now and I don't even own paper. So, <laughs> but you got a mind and you got a, you got a way to type it out. So yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. But uh, no, I, I don't have anything else. Um, man, what a great experience though. I, I appreciate you having me on here and just letting me, letting me talk and let my mind run means a lot. It's therapeutic. It is. And that's, this podcast has been like for funsies and a hobby and a side thing to do when I have extra time, whatever. And to help me grow and educate the masses, whatever. This has been the most therapeutic thing for, I mean, the people that are on, you know, I've had people, you know, I, I appreciate that, but if nothing else for me, like, appreciate the people that listen, but I'm sorry, y'all, this is for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't blame you. So appreciate you, man. It's a good, solid episode. I got nothing else. You got nothing else. We'll wrap it up. And as we end every episode the same way, and I don't plan it. Thank you, everybody. And so with that, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or future topic ideas, please email me at 22 at the lips podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's 22 at the lips podcast at gmail.com. Be safe out there, friends, and never stop learning. But somebody please tell them thank you. And I'm not going to get emotional, but um, yeah, okay. just we know. Can, we can be emotional. It's okay. Oh, no. <laughs> We're an EMS. No. Uh. Okay. It's fine. You're human. <laughs>